want to ask the question, what is man? I think it's helpful to do this. Uh, And I think this is one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves. Uh, I think to answer this question correctly is to find significance in life. It's to find your place in life. It's to find meaning in life. Along with that question are, are issues like, who puts you here? Why are you here and not somewhere else? Why are you here at all? How did you come to be? Why did you come to be? These are all questions that are sort of wrapped up in this one question of what is man? And I've got, really as I went through this, I I, I figured I I couldn't get this all in one message. And so we've got two parts to this. Part one will be this morning and part two will be somewhere in August, maybe near the end of August. But I might be able to summarize the the two-part series in in basically four um, sentences. We are created in God's image. We are God's special creations, not children of animal ancestry. We are male and female, body and soul, responsible and free. We have been given a specific task as God's special creation. I think it's important to get something on the table um, um, right off the start because I'll be using this term throughout uh, uh, this, this, this little two-part um, message. I will refer um, most often to mankind as that, mankind, or as man. And I will use that word to sort of refer to both men and women, to humanity in general. And I know there would, might be some that would object and say, well, why don't you just call it humanity or humankind? Well, I think there's real biblical precedent for referring to mankind as mankind. And in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, we have there... I'll start at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them, and he named them man. And so we have there, really, God naming the human race man. God's naming of, uh, or that activity of naming man to refer to the entire human race, men and women, is therefore good, and very appropriate. And we need to see that the practice of referring to man as uh, sometimes just men as a, as, a, as a gender, but also man sometimes as um, all of mankind, has got biblical warrant. It originated with God himself, and therefore we shouldn't object to it or find it insensitive. Having said that, I think we need to start with the basics. And if you have your Bibles, uh, and there's Bibles in the uh, seats in front of you under the racks, but turn to Genesis chapter 1. That's the very first book in the Bible, so it's the easiest one to find. Um, Genesis chapter 1, and about three-quarters of the way through to to verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1. And I I really just want to start by reading uh, the first four uh, words of that, uh, that verse, where it says, And God created man. God created man. I think right off the bat, we need to understand that that statement is fundamentally opposed or in opposition to the world of scientific naturalism that I mentioned last week. In a biblical worldview, there are really only two kinds of beings. There is the creator and there are the creatures. There are no other kinds of beings in the, in the worldview. And before I sort of get going this morning, we, I probably need to let a little bit of air out of our balloons as, as human beings. And it begins by simply saying this, theoretically and practically, we are not God. 
We will never be God, and we will never become God. God did not create man. This is, a, this is also hard for us to understand. God did not create mankind because he was lonely or because he needed fellowship. God did not need us, and God does not need us. And here are some scriptures that might help that to be embedded in our minds. Acts 17.24 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. There was no lack in God when he made mankind and when he created the world. Psalm 50 verse 12 following says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. I know all that, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Job 41.11 says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. See, the truth of Scripture and the truth about ourselves is that we depend upon God, not he upon us. We are made to serve him, not he to serve us. It is important that we understand that. It is important that we understand our place in the world. But the good news, the very good news is this, that we are created in the image of God. Male and female, he created us. So we have been created with this incredible dignity. We are unique in God's sight. In verse 26, it says of Genesis chapter 1 again, if you're still there, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock that are over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. You know, there is no such utterance of God made before he created anything else in this world. Added to this, God has given to mankind a special responsibility and a special place in the world. We are to have dominion in the world and to rule over the world. Added to this, mankind is created in a special way. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. We were made in a special way, unique from the rest of creation. All creation was created out of nothing, ex nihilo. But mankind was created out of the dust of the ground and then was animated by the very breath of God. And of Eve it says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord had taken from man he made into a woman and brought her to man. There is a uniqueness and a dignity about man and woman and our creation that is separate from all the rest of creation that God has made. And this has serious implications, I believe, for the debate between creation and evolution. A biblical worldview of man is fundamentally opposite to the theory of evolution. And I know that there are many that choose evolution for religious reasons. Because for them, it is a theory that tries to explain the existence of man and the existence of world without the need of a God, without the need of a creator. 
And that's the need of billions and billions and billions of years because it all happened without intervention from outside of this world. But the Bible's view of the creation of man provides a counter to that view. We are not the descendants of animals. As one author I read a long time ago had a little saying, and I think it sort of went like this, from ooh to goo by way of the zoo to you. (laughs) That is not how man came into being. We have been made from the dust of the ground. We have been animated by the breath of God. And we are created in the image and the likeness of God. Added to this, one theologian who I, who I often refer to, Wayne Grudem, writes this. It will probably amaze us to realize that when the creator of the universe wanted to create something in his image, something more like himself than all the rest of the creation, he made us. This realization will give a profound sense of dignity and significance as we reflect on the excellence of all the rest of God's creation. The starry universe, the abundant earth, the world of plants and animals, and the angelic kingdoms are remarkable, even magnificent. But we, man and woman, are more like the Creator than any of these things. We are the culmination of God's infinitely wise and skillful work of creation. What gives you significance? What marks you apart from the rest of the world and the rest of creation? Loved ones, you are made in the image and likeness of God. You have been animated by the breath of God. Doesn't that make you feel different when you realize that God has made us in a special and a unique way, in a way different from all the rest of his creation? And we have been created for good things. Some of you here this morning are familiar with the um, Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question of that catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have been created in the image of God and the likeness of God to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In other words, mankind, men and women, should reflect back the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and formed and made, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even your eating and drinking, even the way that you dress, the way that you talk, the places that you go, all that should be done to the glory of God. Ephesians 1.11, In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Beloved, we have been created in the image and likeness of God to glorify God in everything that we do. To glorify God simply means, I think, to reflect back to him his own glory. 
To, to glorify God is to image God so clearly that the world sees us and hears us and understands what we do and it all reflects back to God. The precision with which we work, the care in which we use our words, the deeds and the actions in which we participate, all of that should be reflecting back to a watching world the glory of God. Do you remember Jesus in John said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I have come to glorify you, now glorify me with the glorification that I once had. In other words, Christ, when he was on earth, everything he did, everything he said, everything where he went, he did in order to glorify God. He is our example. And this is what we have been created for, to rebound, to reflect back the glory of God. Peter reminded the Christians in his letter there, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When outsiders watch our lives, when they see the things that we do, they don't see us, they see God working through us. They see the glory of God, they see the image of God in us. In Matthew chapter 5, 16, it says there, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Isn't that an astounding responsibility, loved ones? Isn't that an amazing dignity that God has placed on us as his creatures? That we more than all of creation, and in, in, in Psalm 19 verse 1, doesn't it say the heavens declare what? The glory of God. But we, even in a more profound way, are to reflect back to a watching world the glory of God. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this in your past actions this last week? In the things that you've said, in the places that you've gone, in the way that you've dressed, in the actions that you've participated in? Has there been in the back of your mind, I've been created in the image of God to glorify God? It ought to be the way that we train our minds and the way that we think. And to enjoy Him forever. To know, throughout, to know Him throughout all eternity. Psalm 73, 25, Who have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. One thing that I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's simply a little sample of the way in which we glorify God. But we enjoy God and we, we appreciate God as we just participate in this world around us, as we reflect in his power and in his creation, in his words, in his presence. Many of you who live in the Parksville area would have been astounded if you were awake after about 8 o'clock to, to enjoy God's handiwork in the heavens on Monday night. As the sky changed from one color to another color to another color to another color, and as it lit up, as he took lightning bolts from the storehouses and threw them down to earth, and we saw his, his power in, in, in display. And if you were anything like me, I was just in awe of the power of God. I was in awe of the imagination of God. I was in awe of the creative power of God displayed in the heavens. We've been created, loved ones, to enjoy God, to appreciate his work in the world around us and in the people around us. So again, did your life this past week reflect the dignity of God? 
Did your life this past week reflect the image of God? Did your life this past week reflect the likeness of God? And as I've been saying, we have been created in the image of God. He has given us tremendous worth and tremendous dignity. And of all creation, man is uniquely created. Only man is created in the image of God. Only man is like God and, and, and represents God. And in a profound way, as Moses said, we not only image God, we are in the likeness of God. We represent God. Many pages have been filled trying to help us understand what it means to be made in the image of God. And I, I just really want to simply throw out four aspects and let you wrestle with some of these. But I think part of being made in the image of God reflects a moral um, aspect we're moral beings, we're ethical beings. I think there's also reflected in the image of God a mental aspect. We think, um, we've got rationality, uh, we're logical. Um, there's a relational aspect to the image of God and the fact that we, that we live in communities, that we live in families, that as God is in community, so we are in community. And there are spiritual aspects that are interwoven in this fact that we are created in the image of God. But there's three sort of practical implications that I want to share before we come to the Lord's t table about being made in the image of God. The first one is this. The image of God is universal. The image of God in mankind is universal. All mankind reflects the image and likeness of God. All races, all nationalities, rich and poor, male and female, Able and disabled, unborn and born, young and old. That being the case, is there any room for prejudice? Is there any room for looking down and demeaning another human being? Is there any room for treating another human being with less dignity and worth that you would treat other human beings? Is there any room for elevating one race or one type of people or one gender above the other? Absolutely not. We equally are created in the image and likeness of God. You see, every human being is created in the image of God and is fearfully and wonderfully made. And every single human being, no matter how much the image of God in them has been marred by sin, or by illness, or by weakness, or by age, or by any other disability, still has the status of being in the image and likeness of God, and therefore must be treated with the same respect and dignity with which we treat every other human being. Secondly, to be sure, the image of God in us has been marred and blurred and impacted by sin, but I still believe that the image of God resides in sinful mankind. I know there are some, um, some churches and some denominations that believe that when man fell, the image of God was totally lost and erased in their lives, but I don't, I don't take that same view. And one wrote, even the worst sinners image God's power and authority, but ethically they have marred and distorted that image. In a strange way, nevertheless, their very sin reflects God. For sin is trying to be God, trying to put oneself on the throne. So even the distortion of the image reflects God in an ironic way. 
Only a very special kind of creation can sin. That is the great tragedy of the fall. But even as fallen creatures, we continue to bear the image of God. We can never escape the image in which God has made us, for we cannot escape our own sin. I would take you to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, and this is an after-the-fall scripture. This is post-fall. And in Genesis 9, verse 6, it says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The image is still carried in us, even though we are sinful. And I think we need to understand in that particular passage alone how important it is that we get it, that everyone, born and unborn, old and young, rich and poor, equally bear the image of God. For murder at any stage from conception to the end of our life is a destruction of the image that God has placed in the life of a human being. But in case we think to ourselves that that only applies to the Old Testament, the image, what about James chapter 3, verse 9 to 10? Speaking of the tongue there, it says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You See what James is saying there? He's saying that by our mouths, by the language that we use, by the words that we speak, we can attack the very image and likeness of God in another one of his creations. There's a very real sense that in our talking to or talking about another person, we are talking about God. And when you call that driver who speeds past you an idiot, you're calling God an idiot. When you look at another race with disdain and hatred, you are looking at God with disdain and hatred. It is a, an amazing responsibility to understand that not only am I created in the image and likeness of God, but everyone else here, every other human being around the world, has equally been created in the image and likeness of God. And finally, the image of God is being restored. This is what just makes my heart soar and gives me so much hope. Is that the image that was lost in the fall has not been lost forevermore. For God has provided a way whereby which that image that is so marred and so distorted by sin is able to be made new and be made even more perfect than it was in the original creation. We've just come through the book of John and read that verse many times. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God, with God and the Word was God. We understand that to refer to Christ. And in verse 14 it also says there, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We referred often in the last number of months to Colossians 2 verse 9 where it says there that for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Christ Jesus was the perfect, most clearest image and likeness of God. Christ Jesus is what God intended for all of us to be to image and reflect God the way His Son 
image and reflect God. And the amazing thing is that when, when, when we all sinned in Adam and we all sinned ourselves and that image was marred, we're not left with sort of a vague reflection of God. That God says there's a way out. There's a way to have that image slowly but surely restored and made perfect in you. This is a truly amazing demonstration of the grace of God. It should cause us to rejoice that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Isn't that grace? Isn't that mercy? Certainly not anything we deserved, is it? We all deserved judgment. We all deserved the separation that our own sins made from God. And yet God, through Christ Jesus, is conforming us all who put their faith and trust in him is conforming us back into the image and the likeness of his son. All we with veiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image one degree from one degree of glory to another. Isn't that hopeful? That God is, is one step at a time one day at a time, one action at a time, one thought at a time, transforming us more and more into the image of His beloved Son. When we are raised from the dead, and these are promises in the Scripture, when we are raised from the dead on the last day, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, which is Adam, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Isn't this a great hope of the child of God? That the image of God will be restored not in the likeness of Adam, but in the likeness of Christ. For the image of God in the likeness of Adam still made him perfect but able to sin. But the image of God in the likeness of Christ will make us purpose, perfect but never able to sin. We will fully reflect the image of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to be like himself. We will be like him. And it's not only all the, the creaks and the aches and the pains and the sorrows that we, that we experience that will be transformed into the likeness of his glorious body, but the image of God that is in us will be brought out in full glory and full beauty, and we will reflect God as we were always intended to do when our Lord and Savior comes again. And one more verse, 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. What is man? Loved ones, you have significance. You have great worth. You have great value because you, apart from all of the rest of creation, have been made in the image and the likeness of God. It's the breath of God that animates you and gives you life. You have been created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But there's a responsibility that comes with that, that as we remember that every other human being, no matter how they look, no matter where they live, no matter how old or how young, they too have
have been created in the image of God and deserve our respect and the dignity with which God has created them. And most encouraging of all, that through Christ, God has made it possible for that image that was marred by sin to be made perfect through the finished work of Christ. And that's what we're celebrating this morning at the Lord's table. We're celebrating his life and death, whereby which all who put their faith and trust in him are made new creatures in Christ Jesus. And that process of um, re-imaging, can we call it, begins till one day we will reflect perfectly the image and likeness of God. Father in heaven, we thank you.